Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Integrity Insights podcast, a podcast dedicated to discuss how sports and sports betting can remain free from fraud and corruption. We do so with the help of leaders in the sector. And today I have here with me Johnny Gray, Chief Executive Officer at the International Tennis Integrity Agency. Hello, Johnny. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, Sylvia. It's great to be with you today. Johnny, I would like to kick off the conversation to let our audience know what the International Tennis Integrity Agency is. So can you explain what does the International Tennis Integrity Agency do and what is your vision on tennis integrity? So the International Tennis Integrity Agency, the ITIA, has been established by the governing bodies of professional tennis to safeguard the sport of tennis. And we're safeguarding it from corruption, uh, especially betting-related corruption. We really do that in a number of ways. We, we aim, first of all, to educate players and participants in the sport as to the, the challenges they may face from corrupt approaches and how to handle those things and how to engage with us to help prevent corruption in the sport. We gather intelligence from a variety of sources as to possible corruption in the sport. And when we believe an offense may have occurred, we investigate that. And if we can prove that case, we will take that, charge the, the offenders and take them to an independent hearing process where they are either found guilty or, or innocent. And if they're found guilty, they are sanctioned, which involves suspension from the game for a period and, and or fines. So that's, that's essentially what we do. And our vision is simple. We want to root out corruption in the sport of tennis. You recently rebranded into the International Tennis Integrity Agency, or ITIA. Why did you decide to rebrand and what has changed compared to the tennis integrity unit that you were called before? And especially, what is it going to be the impact for tennis integrity with this new rebranding? Yes, I mean, many of your listeners will be uh, familiar and remember the Tennis Integrity Unit, the TIU. And the TIU was set up in, the, in the, around about 2008, and it was in the role for 12 years. The TIU was part of the governing body for tennis, the International Tennis Federation, albeit in an operationally independent manner. And... Uh, the governing bodies of tennis commissioned a review of integrity in the sport in 2016 and that reported 2018 and one of the recommendations it made was that tennis should lead the way in in professional sport and and fully dislocate the TIU from the ITF separate it out uh, and set it up as its own independent legal personality so that it was free from any possible interference in its decisions on who to prosecute and who to investigate. More perception in, you know, than reality, but you know, that perception that in some way the, the power of the sport can some way interfere in the process of investigations and, and so on is important one to just separate that out. Good governance 
So the governing bodies of tennis decided to do that, established the as an independent legal entity. We went live on January the 1st, and it allows us to be, if you like, independent of decision-making in the sport. We now have the power to charge players, for example, and to prosecute them through the court. So all of that is good governance. The name has been adjusted to uh, reflect more more clearly the international global nature of our remit and from the point of view of what is that impact i think the impact is primarily confidence from stakeholders that tennis understands that there was a potential of a conflict if you like and and it's removed that and fully established this independent body You mentioned that one of the essential roles of the agency is to keep tennis free from battery-related corruption. And at the International Betting Integrity Association, we recently issued our annual integrity report where we highlighted that 270 suspicious alerts were reported in 2020. And out of these, 98 were, were tennis alerts, which we uh, reported to the, well, former TAU, now International Tennis Integrity Agency. So in your opinion, are, are the betting companies doing enough to protect integrity and what else could be done from their side? Well, I mean, it's a great question, Sylvia, and a complex question, I, I think. And, 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 you know, let me start by saying that, you know, the work of the International Betting in- Integrity Association and its establishment just in the last few years has, has absolutely been welcomed by us, a very important partner for us and, and, and an, opportun- an opportunity for us to engage With, with your members in an efficient way th- through you and, and your colleagues and your services. So, I mean, I think that, I think many of the larger betting companies have made significant investments uh, in their integrity services in recent years, and we welcome all that. I think, however, the point I would make, and since you've asked the question, is it's really important, I think, for listeners to understand that we are in an adversarial situation. We in the ITIA want to protect the sport from corruptors, and those corruptors, in turn, wish to corrupt the sport. So this is an adversarial situation, and those corruptors range from you know, fairly unsophisticated people, potentially even in the sport itself, through to organized crime. Uh, And organized crime, Europol just warned us a few months ago that organized crime is really focusing on the, the lower professional levels of tennis and football as well, and trying to corrupt it. So my, my answer to your question is that I think betting companies and, and, and other data companies and, and others involved in the supply of live scoring data to the betting industry need to continue their efforts to innovate in the way that they detect anomalous betting patterns to ensure that they vary any algorithms they've got so that they're not predictable and easy to, easy to counter and to really engage with us and other sports in this battle, in this adversarial situation we've got. And I think, to be frank, there's always more to be done and, and I'm delighted to be on this podcast today because it gives me that opportunity to just say thank you for everything your members are doing, but we, we need more. We need, we need more from them and indeed others in the betting industry. 
we're happy to collaborate whenever we can with sports governing bodies and in particular now with tennis given that tennis is one of the uh, sports where we receive the highest number of alerts so obviously the most we can do together the best it is to prevent corruption and and fraud in sport and and sports betting johnny you actually mentioned indeed that the work that sports uh, betting companies are doing to prevent fraud is important to you and that the reports that you can, you get from them are important can you explain to our listeners how important it is and and how do you use this information once you get them Yes. So, I mean, first of all, let me say that what we call match alerts from the betting industry are, are of fundamental importance to us. One of the reasons that tennis is, you know, one of the one of the sports with the highest number of alerts, as you point out in, in your report every year, is a very nuanced game. And Unlike team sports, it only takes one player to be corrupted to influence the outcome of a, of a, of a match. And the nuanced betting that's impossible is possible now with in-play betting, double fault, next point, next, next game. Those things are very difficult to detect from a performance data point of view. So... Really, one of the ways, the main way that we get alerted to, bear in mind, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of tennis matches worldwide every year, or at least, you know, um, when COVID's not happening, there are. So one of the ways we get alerted to suspicious matches is, is through alerts from the betting industry. And those will often be, not always, because we also get, you know, sort of, other forms of information and whistleblowers and so on. But from the betting industry, those form the backbone of our intelligence collection. And so to my earlier point, making sure that the betting industry continues to uh, innovate and invest in its detection systems is really important because we, we, the sport of tennis, and I can say the same is true for many sports, we rely so heavily on this as the initial source of suspicion around a, a, a tennis match. So that's my first point, and I, 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 I really want people to sort of understand that. How do we use the information? Well, uh, when, when we get alerts in from either directly from betting companies, uh, from the IBIA or, or other regulators or industry associations, or from the data companies, or often all, all, of, all of them at the same time, you know, not uncommon, we will open up a, an event in our intelligence database and we will cross-reference that event to the other events that we hold uh, on that database over the, the recent, recent years. And where we get a correlation, then we would investigate that. And so data you know, data from the betting companies, betting alerts will often be the thing that will trigger an investigation. And as I mentioned at the top of the call, we, we then investigate the situation. And if we believe that corruption has occurred and we can prove it, we, we will then charge those involved. And, and it may be that we cooperate with international law enforcement agencies because you know we are very keen, uh, as all sports are, not just to prosecute the players, who have been corrupted, but to try and also bring the corruptors to trial. And 
we don't have jurisdiction over people outside the sport. So I mentioned organized crime earlier on. You know, we, we always look to try and bring in national law enforcement agencies. Nearly all of these match fixing is transnational. So we, we often need to bring in Europol or Interpol and try and try and persuade them to get involved. And so that's that all all triggered from betting alerts from the, the betting industry. I see. That's really interesting. Thanks for for shedding some light on on this complex mechanism. Because indeed, as you said, corruption and criminals are are cross border and it's a worldwide phenomenon. So it must be extremely complicated from a persecution perspective to gather those intelligence and and, and the evidences that you need to then go after the criminals. Talking about this. Are you satisfied with the activity that the well, former TAU, now International Tennis Integrity Agency, carried on last year? I mean, in particular regarding to sanctions, I've seen a lot of press release and news about sanctioned players. Can you provide some uh, information about the activities that you carried out last year in terms of sanctioning? Well, as I mentioned before, the you know, and, and on our website is a diagram of this process. You know, once we carry out an investigation, if we believe that there is a likelihood of obtaining a, a conviction, we will charge the player, or it could be, or, you know, the official, the coach, whoever it happens to be, uh, and they will go to a hearing process. Last year was obviously challenging because we had, you know, the first global lockdown and then subsequent lockdowns or, var you know, variations on lockdowns around the world. And that impacted our ability to hold hearings. We, we traditionally hold hearings face-to-face, -face, either in London or in Florida. And so clearly we couldn't do that. So we had to innovate to be able to hold hearings remotely, you know, technology, which has really enabled all businesses to sort of carry on during the lockdown work very well for us. I think a few years ago, you know, we wouldn't be able to do that and the whole thing would have ground to a halt. So we were able to hold our hearings remotely, not the most complex ones, which are slightly backed up, but, but certainly less complex hearings we were able to move through. And while we had a suspension of professional tennis, that enabled us to, to turn our attention to our backlog and also to work with law enforcement agencies on, on their backlog. So we, we were able to catch up a bit, if you like. And the consequence of all that was during the second half of the year, we had a lot of hearings and we sanctioned a lot of players and officials, including our first sanction for court siding, for example. So if you like, work carried on for us as normal throughout that period. And indeed, you know, that's the way we're operating now until we can all travel again. And to be honest, I think we will learn lessons from all this that may, may mean we don't, you know, we don't go back to exactly the way it was beforehand. Well, Johnny, you mentioned indeed COVID-19, which is something that we can't uh, avoid talking because obviously it's something that had a huge impact worldwide, not only on our private life, but also on public life and, well, everybody's life, actually. So I'm curious to know from your side, what are the lessons learned from COVID-19 crisis from an integrity perspective? I mean, we've seen, especially in the first lockdown, when sports stopped, there were a number of private tournaments which were organized. So how did you face those challenges and what have you learned from, from this past experience? 
Yeah, so I, I talked about you know holding hearings remotely. We, we also do, we interview players and and other people uh, in the sport we needed to interview. We were able to do that remotely. So for, so from our point of view, our internal workings, we quickly learned to improvise, adapt, and overcome you know the challenges. More generally, sport itself. I think all sports, tennis is no different. In fact, tennis. It's a, almost a greater challenge because you'll appreciate tennis essentially is the world tour, different levels. So it is a truly global sport. And for the ranking system to work properly, everybody be able, needs to be able to partic participate. So professional tennis closed down and is really now, you know, in the, in the throes of coming back. As we can see in Australia at the moment, you know, it's just not without its practical challenges, but people are determined to sort of work through it and continue the sport until we get through the COVID situation. You're right that, you know, during the first lockdown in particular, but, but subsequently tournaments popped up in local geographies where perhaps the lockdown was at a different stage or players were able to get together on an ad hoc basis and essentially set up a, an invitational tournament, sell the data rights to, to fund the prize money and, you know, in a very entrepreneurial way, create a tennis opportunity. You know, in many ways, hats off to everyone who did that. And uh, some large organizations came in after the initial phase and we've got some bigger organizations now doing that. And indeed, planning to continue to do that. I think for us, the question is really, how do these private events sit within the framework of integrity, both for anti-corruption and anti-doping? How, how, how does that work? They're private events. They're not governed by the rules of professional tennis. They don't have access to our services because uh, we are paid and funded by professional tennis. So I think there's a big question out there about how, how all that will work if indeed these private events carry on and you know as the professional game resumes it's interesting to see how that plays out because obviously private events don't offer ranking points and and so on so you know the, the calendar is very congested anyway and you know it'll be fascinating to see how that plays Right. Well, indeed, you mentioned these, these private tournaments are, are posing a, indeed a challenge, especially related to tennis integrity and how to deal with that. So how do you see the challenges unfolding for 2021 and what more can the International Tennis Integrity Agency do to tackle those challenges? Well, I think it's reasonably well known, and I think the IBIA has uh, reported on this, that we remain concerned about corruption at the moment. So the challenges ahead, we've touched on many of them so far, Sylvia, how we continue to work with the betting industry to uh, increase the ratio of matches that are corrupted, uh, the, uh, the increase the ratio of reporting to the actual events themselves. I think there's a gap there. We were looking to partner with the betting industry to see how we can close that. We've talked a lot about this on the podcast. Uh, we need to bring back the professional game at the lower levels, it, 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 minimizing the corruption risks. I think there's some indication that organized crime in particular has sort of entered into futures deals, if you like, with some players and officials, and we need to try and, you know, minimize that impact on the sport. So, uh, you know, a range of practical operational challenges. I think more strategically, we're engaging this year on an agenda around prevention, and in particular, 
whilst professional tennis and the international tennis integrity agency you know sort of fully committed to that we want to bring more stakeholders in to the discussion around how do we keep our sport clean and this allies with the transfer of the anti-doping program from the ITF to us at the end of the year. So we will then be responsible for all aspects of integrity, anti-doping, anti-corruption and so on. So we want to have a debate about how can we acknowledge the challenges that tennis faces, be realistic about them, but also engage with all the stakeholders, players, coaches, parents, officials, as well as the governing bodies and ourselves to really create a culture of tennis that we can trust. I like it. Tennis that we can trust. It's, uh, it really sounds promising. Johnny, we're heading towards the end of, of our episode. Is there a last message that you would like to leave to our listeners when it comes to tennis integrity and what more can be done to protect it? Well, I, I think I go back to what I said earlier that, you know, that the, the, this podcast is primarily for the betting industry, your members and others, stakeholders in that context. And first of all, I just want to thank the licensed or, or regulated betting industry. I think it's made enormous steps in recent times to uh, invest in integrity. Uh, obviously, the betting industry in many ways is the financial loser when when the corruption occurs and, and a match manipulation happens. So, you know, it, it's in all of our interests to work together closely here. I made the point about continuing to really drive forward that monitoring detection programs within betting companies and to innovate and not to be predictable and to understand this is an adversarial situation. And then lastly, we have really good relationships with a lot of betting companies. And I would just say to people listening to this, if you're in a betting company and you're in the integrity team and you don't feel you know us and you're offering tennis, then get in touch. You know, we want to have close professional relationships with all the stakeholders and, and that includes uh, the betting companies. So get in touch with us and, you know, we can talk about make sure you understand what we do and we understand what you do and we have to work in this day and age around practical challenges around data sharing and privacy and so on and you know those the, those goalposts move you know moving a little bit as the UK leave the EU so all of these are practical considerations that we want to chat through with you and your members and and to continue to drive forward the collective resolve to keep our sport and indeed all sports clean Right. Well, that sounds great. And let's hope then this 2021 will be a good year to continue to fight corruption in sport and in particular in tennis. And that thanks to technological innovation and cooperation, we can get there. Well, Johnny, I thank you very much for taking part to our podcast and I wish you good luck to you and your team on these future challenges. And I'm sure you'll, you'll do a great job. Well, Sylvia, thank you, and, and, and thank you to, and to the IBIA, who are an excellent partner for us, and, and also to your members. And yeah, let's see how we do. We'll look forward to your report this time next year and see, see where we are. Exactly. Well, thanks to our listeners for tuning uh, in, and follow us on our uh, social media on Twitter and on LinkedIn to keep up with more episodes. Thank you, and bye-bye.